Lord, that's our heart, that we would honor you. Lord, you, you died for us. May we live for you. May we have lives, Lord, that would bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, both through the grace that you've shed upon us, Lord, but also, Lord, as we walk hard after you, Lord, we would reflect your love to a world that so desperately needs you. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our heart, with our actions, with our attitudes, Lord, and all that we say and all that we do. Lord, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. We thank you that you are indeed our refuge. You are our strong tower. You are the place of safety that we can run to anywhere and anytime. What a great and awesome God. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua 20. If you don't have them, you need one. Raise your hand. Should have done it earlier. Amen. We're just glad you're here. I'm not picking on you, I promise. All right, Joshua chapter 20. Now, amazingly enough, the last couple of times I've taught like 100 verses each Wednesday. Tonight we're going to look at nine. But it's amazing how God's Word is sometimes, right? Uh, usually for me when I'm studying and preparing, I usually look and when I get to about 30 or 35 pages of notes, I know it's time to stop. Well, that's about where we're at on nine verses. So I'll tell you, it's pretty thick and I love it. Well, catch you up real quick. Joshua. This is the time where they've entered into the land of promise. The children of Israel have wandered through the wilderness. An entire generation died because they were faithless, because they would not enter in, because they saw the giants in the land. They had more fear of men than faith in God. So that entire generation died and passed away. Exodus was their delivery out of bondage. We saw in Leviticus the giving of the law at Sinai. Then in Numbers, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as they all died out. Then Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, the giving of the law to the next generation, the generation that would enter into the land. Then we talked about passing over the Jordan as a picture or a type of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we see that the time inside the land of Canaan is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. So even though we are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we can expect that there still are going to be trials in our life. Amen? Contrary to what some people would tell you, oh, if, you're, you know, if, you're, if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick. That's contrary to the Bible. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. He didn't have enough faith? I don't think that's the case. God sometimes allows the thorns so that our faith might grow. Amen? He allows the thorns so that it might encourage the faith in others. And the same is true when we're walking in the center of God's will in the Spirit-filled life. The trials are still going to come that we might grow and that we might be a testimony to others. If without a test, there can be no testimony. Without difficulties and trials, we'll never have a chance to see the greatness of our God. And so, so far, what we've seen happen as they've gone over the Jordan, remember the two and a half tribes basically gave up even before they went in. Gad... And Reuben and half of Manasseh just said, let's just stay on this side of the Jordan. The battle's already been won. Why continue to fight? It's just easier to stay here. Guys, there's a temptation to stay just outside of God's highest in our life. There's a temptation to stay where it's comfortable, where it's easy, as opposed to stepping out into all that God has for us, knowing that trials may come. We've talked about this repeatedly. Satan's resources are limited. Where does he use them? Against those who are being used the most by the kingdom of God. You've heard me say it before. Satan's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's the opposite, not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of maybe Michael the archangel. So he doesn't know everything. So that means he doesn't really know everybody's name. That means there's a limited number of people whose names he does know. 
And we talked about the fact, how would you like to have a walk so on fire for God that Satan knows your name? You have to think about that for a second, right? I'd like to have a walk so on fire for God that he almost knows my name. You know what, though? The point is that as we're walking in the center of his will, God's going to do great things. But guess what? There's going to be opposition. And two and a half tribes said, you know what? I don't want to go for the opposition. No, I'm out of Egypt. I'm out of bondage. We're out of the wilderness. And now we're in the, you know, we're right outside the land of promise. I can see it from here. That's good enough for me. But praise God that nine and a half tribes were not satisfied with that. And they went over into the land as we saw a few weeks ago. And as they went into the land, we saw the great example of a man by the name of Caleb. I know this is repetitive, but it bears repeating. Caleb was 85 years old. He was 40 when God promised him that he would give him the land of Anak. The Anakim were the giants. So now he's 85. He gets into the land and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you cast lots, remember what I get. I get the land of the giants. And again, most 85-year-old guys, if I was 85, the land of the giants is the last thing I would want. But Caleb's heart was, God's not through with me yet. And my encouragement to every one of us is if we're breathing in and out, God's not through with you yet either. Amen? Whether you're 8, 18, 85, or 108, God's still got a work He wants to do in us and through us. So we saw that they went into the land and we saw Caleb's great faith and he went in and conquered because he believed God. And we saw that five of the tribes settled in the land. But seven of them... A year or two goes by, and they still have not gone in and grabbed their inheritance. And last week we saw how he exhorted them. Joshua came to them last week and said, Why is it you have not inherited the land? Why haven't you gone in and taken your inheritance? And that's a word for many of us tonight. Why is it we're satisfied with less than God's highest? Why is it that where we're dissatisfied is pursuing more of the world instead of pursuing more of God? I know it's a, again, for some of us it's an ouch, but the truth is that Joshua exhorted them because he loved them, and he wanted God's highest for them, and the Lord would exhort us tonight because there's nothing better than having all that God has for us, amen? May we not be satisfied with less. And so last week we saw finally that all the tribes are now in their land, they finally went in, they had to be exhorted, but they did it, they've all settled in the land now. And they're all exactly where they're supposed to be according to God's ultimate plan. And we're going to notice that in the coming weeks as we continue to move on through Scripture that exactly where they are was preordained by God. Even though they cast lots for it, it was always exactly what God had planned. You know what? There's a great peace. And I say this often in counseling. There's a great peace in knowing that God is in control. There's a great peace in knowing that even if I've blown it, God is still faithful. And God is still in control. And you know what? I might be going through difficulty, but God knew about it before the foundation of the world, and it ought to bring us peace. Amen? So we come to chapter 20 tonight, and we saw them neglecting God's gift and not reaching out last week. Now this week, we're going to kind of change gears a little bit, and we're going to see that now that they're in the land, that God had told them beforehand through Moses back in Numbers, that once they were in the land, they were to set aside 48 cities for the Levites, Six of those cities would be called cities of refuge. And we'll talk about the significance behind those. But just as we see in every chapter, I'll tell you what, Jesus is all over this chapter. All over this chapter. Now remember, this is 1,400 years before Jesus came to earth. But Jesus is all over this chapter. Man, I love the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament pictures reveal New Testament principles. 
And I love the great picture we're going to see of Jesus tonight. In these nine short verses, we're going to see them establishing a judicial system, most specifically for manslaughter. We're also going to see God had already placed great value upon human life and that killing somebody, there was going to be a price to be paid. We're going to see the establishing of the cities of refuge as places of safety where the desperate could run and find protection from the avenger of blood. We're going to talk about the significance behind each of those things. We're going to see the required death of the high priest before freedom was be, before freedom could come and before the person could be returned back to their old way of life. And then lastly, we're going to see the placement of the cities so as to provide easy access to all who would want to run to them. So the city of refuge, and I just titled the message, and we're going to get to the application mainly at the end, but right off the bat, the title of the message is Jesus is our refuge. And as we look at these cities of refuge, you're going to see qualities of our Savior all over it, because every bit of it points to the Lord. God's Word fits together perfectly. Jesus, indeed, is on every page, and we're going to see Him in living color in these nine verses. So Jesus is our refuge, our source of safety from the avenger of blood. Let's begin in verse 1 of Joshua 20. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, okay, having given them their inheritance in the land, the nine and a half tribes within the land, two and a half tribes on the outskirts. Remember last week the tabernacle was set up. That's key. The tabernacle was set up in the city of, bonus points, who knows? Shiloh. Go, Nigel. Somebody knew. Praise the Lord. Shiloh. If you guys remember from last week, Shiloh means sent or peaceful one. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the sent one, and he is the one who brings peace. And we know that Shiloh also points to the Messiah. It says in Genesis, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh, those were Jacob's last words, Shiloh is pointing to Jesus Christ. So the tabernacle, if you were here in Exodus, man, it's Jesus all over the tabernacle. Every, every implement... Every piece of clothing, everything that the high priest wore, all of it pointing to Jesus. And so now the tabernacle's been set up, the place of worship is there, it's within the land of promise, it's in Shiloh, the place of the peaceful one. Only way we can have peace is through the Prince of Peace, through the sacrifices that need to be made to restore sinful man back to holy God. And now he says unto him, okay, everybody's established in their land, the tabernacle's been set up, but we're not done yet because he still had more that God wanted to do in and through them you know what we're in the land of promise right now you guys we're walking in the land of promise if you're filled with the spirit of the living God amen you're walking in the land of promise the tabernacle the place of sacrifice for you and I the Messiah has already come yet there's still more that God wants to do with us just as there was more that God wanted to do with them. They're in the land of promise. The tabernacle's been set up. There's communication with God. There's still more. And the same is true for you and I. Have, again, that promise of eternal life and the cross of Christ. But there's more than just being saved. You know what? The Lord's salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. Too often we think of salvation being that final place. I want to get that person to being saved. And certainly we want to see people saved. It's absolutely necessary. But it's not the end, it's the beginning. And I want to say this too, just on a side note. More and more burning on my heart 
is to emphasize less and less. I hear pastors say this. I hear Christians say this. Come to Jesus and he will do this for you. Come to Jesus and he'll help you quit with your alcohol problem. Come to Jesus and he'll help restore your marriage. Come to Jesus and, you know what, can I say this? Come to Jesus because you need him. Come to Jesus because he loves you. Come to Jesus not seeking anything but Jesus and he'll take care of the rest of it. Amen? Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus Christ is not some magic potion that we use to try to straighten out our physical problems. We have to die to ourselves, be filled with him and he'll take care of the rest. Amen? Amen? And so there's that desire to fall in love with him and pursue him for no other reason than our love for him. No other motivation, not because it's going to make us rich, not because it's going to bring us anything else, but just intimacy with the creator of the universe. So the Lord spoke to Joshua and he says to him, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge. Now God tells Joshua to fulfill what had been commanded through Moses back in Numbers 35. Those of you who are here, you'll remember that six cities of refuge were to be set apart in the land. And there were going to be 48 cities of the Levites. Now the Levites didn't have a land as an inheritance, but they were spread throughout the land. And that's significant because their inheritance was the Lord. But you'll notice that the Levites were spread out just like the Christians ought to be spread out. Amen? You know, the electric company doesn't put every single light in the city on one corner. You'd have a really bright corner and a really dark city, amen? What do they do? They spread the lights out all over the city, and the Lord wants to do that with us. Some people will say, I'm the only Christian in my office. You're the light in that place. I'm the only Christian in my science class. I'm the only Christian, you know, in my neighborhood. Well, God put you there for a reason. Start shining for Him, amen? Because if you're the only one, no one else is going to illuminate that place but you. And God wants to speak through you and use you mightily. Well, the Levites were going to be spread out to serve God and draw the people into the presence of the Lord. And again, part of them would serve as priests. So the purpose of the cities, why do they need cities of refuge? What's the point? We'll talk about what they are in a moment. Why do they need them? Now understand that they didn't have a police department. They didn't have a chief, no patrolman. They didn't have really a governmental system for the most part in place. So the city of refuge was going to be there to be a place where they could have justice brought about. Now, families then were the ones who kept the law. It says in Genesis, Whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Now it also tells us in the New Testament, for those of you who might question it, And you can disagree with me about the death penalty, and you'd be wrong. But here's what it says. (laughs) Well, listen to this verse, and tell me how you can interpret it any other way. Romans 13 says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he, this is the government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. God is a proponent of the death penalty. 
You might say, that just doesn't make sense. He's a God of love and grace. You know why he's a proponent of the death penalty? Not because he doesn't value life, but because he values life so much. He values the life of the one who was killed. He values the life of the one who was harmed so much that he says the consequence for taking a life of a man created in the image of God is that you will lose your own. I'm pointing all this out because these cities of refuge were necessary. Because in those times, Israel dealt with men's offenses very swiftly and decisively, unlike our government today. Amen. People can be on, the, on death row, I, I don't know the number, but it seems like 25 years sometimes. And, you know, it's amazing to me. And it's just appeal after appeal, and we think we're being gracious, but you know what? The Lord said this about unpunished murder. God also said that unpunished murderers defile the land. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but you shall surely put him to death. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for the blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed upon it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Did you hear that? The blood cannot, nobody else can pay the price for the one who murdered somebody else. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So here's how they dealt with crime. There were two types of crimes. There were capital crimes, things like murder, sexual sins like rape and adultery, blasphemy, and listed in there was disobedience to your parents. I wish the youth group was in here. Disobedient to parents was in the same list with murder and rape. God says, honor your mother and father and you will live long and prosper. If you obey your parents, God will bless you. You disobey your parents, you're disobeying God. Whoa, it's heavy stuff. Now, I want you to see this. The capital crimes, what was the penalty for blasphemy, disobedience to your parents, sexual sin, death? They would take them outside the city gate and stone them to death. Now again, the same, people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is really harsh. And the God of the New Testament is really gracious. No, our God has always valued life. And when somebody does great harm, he says, this is going to pollute and harm the land. You know what? Let me say this. Sin has consequences, but that person could still get saved. Amen? You know, for four and a half years, I spent every Tuesday night in Lancaster Federal Penitentiary in the A-yard, ministering mainly to lifers. And I would go over to death row and minister to the inmates that were there. And the ones who were truly saved, really born again, would say, I deserve to be here. But praise God, I'm going to heaven. I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I killed three people and I deserve to spend my life here. I deserve to lose my life. But you know what? We need to have an eternal perspective, don't we? Amen? Amen? And so we see here that God does say, and so I'm bringing all this out to you because you need to understand why the city of refuge existed because judgment was swift. So there were capital crimes with the death penalty, and then there were crimes against a person, things like robbery and vandalism. And you know what they did? They made you pay back five times what you stole. Steal 100 bucks, give them 500 back. That's how it works. This system's pretty sweet, actually, isn't it? Can you imagine? Capital crimes, death, steal, pay back five times. There's, there it is. Now, there'd be a lot less disobedient kids in the grocery store. Amen? you imagine? If you knew rocks were going to get thrown at you till you died, you would not be talking back. They wouldn't have to swat anybody at school. Amen? 
None of that would have to happen. And again, we need to honor what God has directed to us. He's a loving God. He knows what's best for us. So look what it says in verse 3. So understand, that's what would happen. You committed a crime, it was immediate. Consequences were immediate. There were not 47 trials and 14 appeals and calling in the jury, you know, and jury profiling and none of that. It was, here it is, you did it, you're guilty, here's the consequence. Heavy. Now look at verse 3. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, that there shall be a refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, because murder resulted in death, a city of refuge was there for someone who killed somebody by accident. Because the truth is that sometimes death did come by accident. Give you an example. Let's say that two men are out chopping down trees. These guys are chopping down trees, getting wood, whether for fire or whatever. And they're chopping down trees, and the one guy swings his axe handle back, and the head comes off and flies and hits the guy in the chest, and he drops dead. It was an accident. Guess what's going to happen to him? Somebody's going to show up, and he's going to be dead, and the avenger of blood is going to come and kill him. Totally rightfully so, according to the law back then. Now, because of that, they had the cities of refuge created, so there was a place where the man could flee to, to make sure that he was able to at least make his case. Now, who is the avenger of blood? Well, in this case, there were no police. So, who was it that was going to bring about the punishment? Well, the punishment was brought about by somebody in the person's family. The word in Hebrew, goel, is, it means to redeem or act as a kinsman redeemer, to avenge, revenge, or ransom, or do part of the kinsman, the, the next loca, uh, closest relative. And each family had somebody who was to carry out the judgment. And their obligation was, if somebody killed somebody in your family, you had to track them down until they were dead. If it took 10 years, you just keep finding them. So the person who committed the crime was never, could never rest easy. And so the avenger of blood was somebody within the family whose job it was to bring about justice. Now, understand that we see this kinsman redeemer in a positive way sometimes too. Because in the Bible, the closest kin was also, let's say that a man was married and his wife didn't have any children yet and he died. His brother would then marry her so that children would be brought up in his brother's name, the kinsman redeemer. Also, the kinsman redeemer could buy out one of his relatives out of slavery. That's what we see with the story of Boaz and Ruth. The kinsman redeemer. So we see that that has a positive side. Well, guess what? It's, always got, it's also got a heavy-duty side. Because that, that role of kinsman might also include revenge or justice in the case of death of a relative. And while this would be, again, an effective deterrent to murder, the system had flaws because sometimes the death came by accident. So the city of refuge was to make sure that the avenger didn't go out and immediately kill somebody. Imagine. Now, now, what if you're the guy swinging the axe? And you know what the laws are. And you, you swing back, you hit the thing, and it, comes, and it flies off, and it hits the guy, and he falls over, and you go check his pulse. And he's dead. Oh, game over, right? 
So here this guy is, he's got no hope. Because the person's dead, he's guilty, I have no hope. There's nothing I can do, I'm dead. It was an accident, I have no way of proving it, I'm dead. Deuteronomy said, So innocent blood, Deuteronomy 19, will not be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and blood guiltiness be upon you. The reason for giving them a city of refuge was so that innocent blood would not be shed. Notice that in God's eyes, the man who does it on accident is innocent. Because murder requires premeditation. This is all from the Bible, by the way. Murder requires premeditation and hatred. That's a biblical principle. Later, Jesus would say, if you've hated a man in your heart, you've committed what? Murder. Because it's hatred that brings about murder. It's an accident. That's where manslayer is where we get the word manslaughter, and it comes right out of this text. Okay? That's where it comes from. Now, he says, what is this man going to do? Here he is, and he needs a place where he can at least tell his side. He needs a place. He's done. What can he do? It was an accident. Well, what he can do, verse 4, is run. And it says there, And when he flees to one of those cities, the city of refuge, and stands in the entrance at the gate of the city, and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So, what does he need to do when he's this accidental... Uh, death has taken place. He wants an opportunity to share his side. According to the custom, the elders would be sitting in the city gate. We're going to see in a moment there's only six cities of refuge, and I have an idea that everybody knew exactly where they were. Because you never knew when you were going to need it. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Now, he, it says there, so what, here's what happened. The axe handle comes off. He hits the guy. He checks his pulse. He looks down. He realizes he's dead. And what does he do? He starts running. Quickly, run to the city of refuge. I am guilty and the avenger of blood is going to kill me if I don't get there quick. Run. And it says that when he gets there, he comes to the city gates. And those of you who have been to Israel with us, you'll see that the cities have a little gate. And right at the gate, all the elders would meet there. And the people would come to them to handle any kind of dispute. When they sold property, the, the elders would sign off on it. When there was a disagreement between people, they would meet the elders at the city gate. And so this man running to the city of refuge, one of the six cities of refuge, would get there and run immediately to the elders and confess what he had done. Confession brings deliverance. Amen? So he would come to the gate and he would, say, he would tell his story. Here's what happened. I was out chopping wood and my axe handle flew off and hit my, my friend in the chest and I checked him and he died and so I ran here. Because the avenger of blood, no doubt, is on my tail as we speak. He's coming to get me. And I'm guilty and I have nowhere else to go. The only place I can go is to the city of refuge. There are no other cities to run to. There's six cities of refuge. The closest one is the one you want, right? Where's the closest one? Let me get there. Quick as I can. So he confesses openly, not hiding. He didn't sneak into the city of refuge. Is that what it says? He went in and covered himself up and went by the guys in the gate and got into the city of refuge and says, I'm just going to stay here. And I'm not going to tell anybody what happened. 
Because then they'll bring me before the congregation. I might be found guilty. I'm not going to confess. I'm just going to hide. Can't hide from God. Amen? Amen? Needs to be confession and deliverance and restoration. Not just hiding. Just not pretending that it never happened. It's not going to go away. You may not be judged here and now, but ultimately you will stand before Almighty God one day. Amen? And so they would run, he runs to the city of refuge. He's not pretending that he's done no wrong. He's not hiding from what he's done. But instead, he stands in the city gate and openly proclaims in front of the elders exactly what happened. Now, verse 5. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. If the elders hear his story and they believe the sincerity of his heart, they bring him into the city of refuge and now he's safe. You know what, guys? When we come confessing to Almighty God, he knows the sincerity of our heart. And if we truly are broken and repentant, we will enter into his refuge, his peace. Amen? Jesus Christ is our refuge. And guess what? He's the only place we can run. There's nowhere else for us to go. There's no one else that we can turn to. So the avenger shows up with his accusation. Who's the avenger a type of here? Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. So the avenger shows up and says, Hey, you've got a guy in there that killed my brother. And I'm here to finish him off. And the elders would look down and not deliver him over because they had heard his confession. They believed the sincerity of his heart. And they brought him into the city of refuge, the place where he was now safe from the avenger of blood. When we enter into Christ, we are safe from all the accusations the enemy can dish out. Amen? Next time he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? We know where we're headed. We know we've been born again. We know we're new creations in Christ. And so he says there, you did not hate him beforehand. Again, murder was judged based upon the heart and the attitude of those who did it. And the elders, using wisdom, did not hand him over to the blood avenger. And again, Jesus would later say that out of our heart, right? If you, if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. And the Bible tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God indeed looks at the heart. Verse 6. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation of judgment. Now in this case, he still would be judged based on the evidence. He still would stand before the congregation and there would be some type of a trial as to whether or not this murder was an accident. Accident. And again, if his words were determined to be sincere, and they believed that it was accidental death, then the slayer was given protection of the city of refuge. And he would remain safe and protected as long as he stayed within the walls of the city. Now, at the same time, if they found him to be a liar, guess what they did? They gave him to the avenger of blood. Gave him... So, do you, here's the sad thing. There are many people that make a, a profession of faith. How many of you have seen that? Somebody makes a profession of faith, and you see them two months later, and you would never know what ever happened. Life doesn't change. Nothing's different. The parable of the sower, right? 
choked off among the thorns or the cares of this world or never really took root, never really gave their life to Jesus Christ. And here's one of the saddest things I think can happen. If somebody prays a prayer or walks an aisle or gets a conversion card at a crusade of some type and puts it in their wallet and then starts trusting in that momentary insincere confession as being a path to heaven and then goes out and lives like the world. And then everybody says to him, no, bro, you know what? And he starts sharing, oh, man, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I, man, I, I prayed the prayer, man. I walked the Billy Graham crusade. I did it. But guys, if we're truly saved, we're going to change. Amen? Amen? I love that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. What about the change? It talks about the bumper stickers and the Christian things and all the stuff we have. But if we're truly born again, we'll be different. Different than the world. You know, we ought to be so different from the world that scares them a little bit. Amen? Amen. Man, are you, what are you, a Jesus freak? Yes. Amen? Amen? Who better to be a freak for? Amen? Amen? It's nothing wrong with being on fire in fuego for Jesus Christ. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I'd rather be on fire for Christ than on fire for eternity. How about you? Amen? Amen? <laughs> and the point is here that if they're truly sincere, it would come out. And the end result would be resting in the city of refuge, or in our case, resting in Jesus Christ. But if he's lying, he's not truly, he's not telling the truth. He's trying to avoid the consequences of his sin. There's been no true repentance for his actions. Guess what? Out he goes. The sad thing is going to happen on Judgment Day, and I know this is direct, but we need to hear it. On Judgment Day, many are going to come and say, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I don't know you. Guys, it's not knowing about Jesus, but knowing him intimately. Is he your refuge tonight? Are you resting in him? Do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord? Or is he just somebody you know about from reading the Bible or hearing a pastor talk at you for an hour on a Wednesday night. It says there then, and I love this part, watch this, this is so Jesus, I just love this. He shall dwell in the city until he, until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. So, they had to stay in the city of refuge. If they ever left, while the high priest was still alive, then a blood avenger would kill them. So they had safety, but the safety was only in the city of refuge. Guys, our safety is only in Christ. Amen? Amen. No other place. Not in our good works, not in our church attendance, not in our church membership. Our only place of peace, our only place of rest is in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Now here's the interesting part. He was able to leave the city of refuge only if and when the high priest died. Now, who in the world is that a picture of? Who is our great high priest, according to Scripture? Jesus Christ. And this man would then be set free to go back only when the high priest died. Guys, when our great high priest suffered and died upon the cross for us, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen? So now we walk free because of the work of the cross. And this high priest died. Now imagine, can you imagine all the people in the cities of refuge when they heard like the high priest had a cold? 
Hey, did you hear? What? I heard the high priest was like coughing the other day at sacrifice. You know what I mean? You know, whatever. And so there was this, they were constantly listening and watching for what was happening with the high priest. As you and I ought to be watching and listening at all times for what our Savior is doing and wants to do in our lives today. Amen? That's where freedom comes. Freedom comes from looking to the high priest. Freedom comes from knowing the work that he's done on the cross and he set us free. And praise God that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Now watch the names of these six cities. We'll get back in a minute to why they are significant. It's in the Bible. It's in there for a reason. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. So three cities on the promised land side. And on that side, how many tribes were dwelling there? Nine and a half. You know, people want to get more comfortable chairs. I'm afraid you guys would be napping if I do that. But the point is, I'm kidding. But the point is that on the side with nine and a half tribes, there were three cities of refuge. Then it says in verse 8, And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. So on the side where you have nine and a half tribes, three cities of refuge, on the side where you have two and a half tribes outside the land of promise, three cities of refuge. You know what that tells me? That tells me those who were outside of the land of promise had a lot more death and a lot more trials and a lot more struggles where they had to run to the city of refuge because they were not walking in the promise of Almighty God because they need as many cities of refuge with a small number of people as they did in the place where there was a great number of people. Again, Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. Now, in a minute, we're going to get to some great applications. But I want you to know this. These cities, if we had a map, were placed in such a way that no matter where you were in the land of promise, or if you were on the side with the two and a half tribes, no matter where you were, you could get to a city of refuge without crossing any water or climbing any mountains. No matter where you were, there was one of the cities that was close enough that you would not have to swim over a river, cross a river, or cross a mountain. Now we also know in Deuteronomy, it tells us that proper roads were built and maintained to these cities of refuge. So these cities of refuge were close by and easy to get to on a level, smooth road. Doesn't sound like a big deal until you're the guy getting chased. Right? If you're the one who's blown it, where's the smooth road? Where, I, I, you know, I, I don't know this, but I kind of imagine there's like arrows up. You know what I mean? You run along, there's a road, and it says, City of Refuge. You know, right? Guy hits the guy with the thing, the guy falls over, and he looks up, and he's running around. Arrow! And he just bolts. Because he knows, if I don't get there, the Avenger of Blood's going to kill me, and it's going to be over. So I've got to get to the City of Refuge. Boy, we'll talk about this in detail in a minute. But you know what? Our Savior is always close by. He's never far away. He's not difficult to come to. The Bible says the Word of God is near you. It is in your mouth. You know, that confession. 
If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved in the glory of the Father. People try to make it a, a trek up a mountain of glass crawling on your knees to be saved. People try to make it, you've got to swim through the deepest river and avoid the greatest currents and fight off mighty warriors. You know what? You don't have to do anything because he did everything. He said, it's finished. I'm right here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come on to me, all you who heavy la- labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't give us grief. He doesn't give us burdens. He doesn't give us heartache. It breaks my heart to see people trying to work their way to heaven when it's already been done. Amen? People sitting out by Kmart trying to give out false books. Trying to log some hours so one day God will love them more. And maybe they'll be one of the 144,000. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because, again, salvation wasn't cheap because it cost God a great deal. But it's free for you and I. Amen? It's a free gift, and it's right here. It's right here. I lo- don't you love this picture? They made sure the road was level. You know what, guys? I believe that's our job. I believe we need to make it easy for people to come to Christ. How do we do that? By living for Him out loud in front of the world. How do we do that? By sharing our faith openly and boldly. How do we do that? By not putting up a bunch of obstacles about what they must do to be saved that don't come from God but come from us. We need to make that road smooth and easy for them to get to because the only thing that's going to muck it up is us. God's already made it easy, amen? And so they said they were commanded. You make that road easy. And they're working on the road. And you know what's interesting? The people keeping the road smooth may have been people that never had to use it. But they were keeping it smooth for somebody else. We've already been saved. We need to keep that road smooth for somebody else, amen? We need to be the ones leading them to know our Savior close by, Easy to get to, which meant a lot when the avenger of blood was chasing you. Verse 9. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. And whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. The city of refuge was for any and all. Look what it says there. The cities appointed for the children of Israel and for the stranger. Underline that if it's your Bible in your hand. Because guess who the strangers are? Amen? Unless you're a Jew, guess what? Stranger. And aren't you glad? And aren't you glad that he says it's not just for the children of Israel, but even others who've committed a crime, any of them could run to the city of refuge and they would be welcomed in if they would come with a confessing heart and say, here's what I've done. They would bring them in and protect them and they would be protected for all the days of their life. And if the high priest died, they would be set free. Wow. I love this. So even for this stranger, not just for the children of Israel. Guys, we need to not make the gospel narrower than God did. You know, if you go to our church, you can be saved. No. Salvation doesn't come through any church. It comes through Christ. We're not proponents of Calvary Chapel. We're proponents of Jesus Christ. 
I love Calvary Chapel because I just, God's done a great work in the Calvary Chapel movement. If you don't know it, it's how the Jesus movement started, reaching the hippies, so many people being saved, just by the simple passion and desire to preach God's word, all of it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and to love God's people. Period. There it is. Do that. And you know what? God is faithful to the teaching of his whole counsel of God without compromise and then showing love toward his people. God blesses that. Amen. But we're not going to get to heaven and have the Baptists over here and the Presbyterians over here and the Calvary chapels over here. That's not going to happen. Amen. We're all one church. And praise God that we can all enter into the presence of Almighty God. And in God's eyes, even the stranger, that's you and I. Now, I want to finish with some applications, and i got quite a bit here. Hebrews 6 tells us that Jesus is our refuge. Psalms 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. More than 15 times the Psalms speak of God as our refuge. Also, I want to point out the similarities between the city of refuge and our Savior. Both Jesus and the city of refuge, as we just talked about, are within easy reach of the needy person. They were to, they were of, it would be of no need or of no use if it was too far away. If this happened and it was 2,700 miles to the city of refuge, you're toast. <laughs> and the same is true for you and I. Can you imagine if it was difficult to really come to know God? You know, the sad part is it's so simple and yet so few respond. Imagine if it was harder. You know, the sad part is people want it to be harder. You can say to somebody, the building's on fire, there's the exit. Well, I, I need some options. That seems pretty narrow to me. The door's open, the building's on fire, you're going to die, run out. The-. Well, I'm thinking, for maybe for you that's the door. <laughs> but for me, you know, I'm kind of a toddler by nature, and I, I'm thinking I'm going to dig under the... It's concrete, you can't... Oh, uh, I don't know, though, you're just being pretty narrow. And too often, people want to make it harder than it is. You know what we need to do? See that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to be your Savior. There it is. That's salvation. Every one of us has something that is chasing us out there before we come to know Christ. And what's chasing us is the law. The law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross, the Bible says. The law is like a mirror that reveals that we're sinners in need of a Savior. You put the law up in front of you, and what do you see? Sinner. Right? I'm a sinner. Now, when you look in the mirror and you see blemishes on your face, you don't pull the mirror off the wall and start rubbing your face with it. People will think you're outside of your mind, right? All the mirror does is reveal that the blemish is there. The same is true of the law. The law reveals your sin, but the law cannot save you. Too often people try to use the law as their way of salvation. Well, guess what? Man, that's tough. I told you, I met a Jewish man one time, told me he had 252 laws he must keep. I said, how's that working out for you? Because I know 10 of them and you're not keeping those. And so the point is that if you're trying to cleanse yourself with the very thing that reveals you're a sinner, you will always be having to try, more, try harder and you will never be successful. Ever. So... There's something chasing all of mankind. According to the law, we've all been condemned. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Praise God, the verse doesn't end there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Amen? So, we see that the law, the blood avenger, 
is chasing us down in that sense, right? The law, revealing our sin and our need for a Savior. If you're out there all by yourself, one day God's law is going to catch up with you and demand satisfaction, and the price of breaking the law is death. That is, unless you find the city of refuge and run to Jesus. Because if you run to Him, Romans 8, 1 says, just a chapter and a half later, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you're in the city of refuge, you're condemned no more. Once you're sitting and resting in Him, condemned no more. And praise God, it's never too far to run. So, they're both nearby. Both Jesus and the city of refuge are open to all, as I just said. Not just the Israelite, but to the stranger as well. No one needs to fear that they would be turned away from their place of refuge in their time of need. Jesus has never turned anybody away. Nobody is going to go to hell because Jesus turned them away. They're going to go because they turned away from Jesus. Amen? Understand that. His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. He wants everybody in the city of refuge. Come on in. Plenty of room. Come on in. Amen? But people don't go because they choose not to. Both Jesus and the city of refuge became a place where the one in need would live. They didn't go to the city of refuge in a time of need and just check it out. They live there. Right? Guys, when we're saved, we live there. We're one In Christ, our peace, our refuge, our hope, our life is in Him. Not checking Him out and running away, but staying there. Because if you left the city of refuge, the blood avenger would be waiting for you. And if you walk away from Christ, there's somebody waiting for you. Amen? If you're just testing the water, you don't really give your life to the Lord, and you run away, there's one waiting for you going, great. Thought I lost that one. Got Him right where I want Him, outside of the Lord having not truly given his life to him. Both Jesus and the city of refuge provide protection, again, only within their boundaries. When you go outside, it means death. With both Jesus and the city of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. As we talked about, Jesus, our great high priest, paid the price, and now we're free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, one critical distinction, and then we're going to look at the six cities and close, is that only those who were innocent of murder could go into the city of refuge. In our case, it's available to all the guilty, and that's us. Amen? It's available to all the guilty. Now, lastly, because I love love looking up the meaning of words in the Bible, because they're named that for a reason. And each one of these cities that's listed here is a picture of Jesus Christ. How many cities of refuge are there? Six. Six is the number of what in the Bible? Man. And Jesus had to become what? A man. Kadesh means holy place. And through Jesus Christ, you and I can enter into the most holy place. Shechem means shoulder. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born to us, the son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Hebron means fellowship. 1 Corinthians tells us, God is faithful for whom you called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Only through Jesus can we have fellowship with the Father. Bethzer means fortress. Psalm tells us, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take 
refuge. Man, I love this. Do you think there's any chances in the Bible? Of course not. Ramoth means exaltation. Saying, spoken of Jesus in Exodus, He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Who's the exalted one? Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Golan means rejoicing or their rejoicing. But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let everyone sing for joy and may you shelter them that those who love thy name may exalt in thee. Holy place, shoulder, fellowship, fortress, exaltation, and rejoicing. Man, that's Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so these cities of refuge, who are they pointing to? The Lord. There's nowhere else to go except the city of refuge. There's nowhere else for you and I to go except to Jesus Christ. He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Amen? Amen? Written 1,400 years before Jesus came to earth, and is Jesus all over this chapter, or what? Amen? The Bible rocks. Jesus is our refuge in time of trouble. He's near to all. He's available to all. All who will simply come confessing their need for Him. If you haven't done that, do it tonight. Amen? Amen. And you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. In this case, you can be a multi... You could have murdered a hundred people. He will still forgive you. Amen? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And we thank You that Jesus indeed is our refuge. He's our fortress, our strong tower. He's a, the righteous run into Him and we are saved. And Lord, I just thank You that You are always near to all who would call upon Your name. That we don't have to run up mountains to prove our love for You, but Lord, You desire just that we would enter in because the work has already been done. Father, I pray for anybody here tonight that doesn't know You. Soften their heart and open their eyes to their need for You. May they know you in an intimate and a personal way. Lord, for each of us, Lord, I just think of the analogy there of making the road smooth for others and coming to you. Lord, may we never stumble others because of our actions. May we never, never stumble others because of our attitudes or, or how we act around people. But Lord, I pray that we would be a reflection of you, drawing people unto you, pointing people to our Savior, telling them, here's where the refuge is. Here's where peace can be found, and it's only in Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that we are free tonight. We thank you that we've been set free. We thank you that we have the promise of heaven. We can't wait to see you face to face. Until then, Lord, may we draw others unto you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.